My name is Nick Govia and my leadership lesson is do all in your power to help your people be their true best selves because it doesn't only deliver for them but it also will deliver for you as a business. Hello and welcome to Management Today's Leadership Lessons podcast. In this week's episode, we meet Nick Govier, founder of comms and business management consultancy Blurred. She walks us through the process of creating the company, including how having an affair on her business helped solidify her plans, navigating being a successful CEO with a neurodiverse family, and the reality of walking away from her very first entrepreneurial venture. So you founded a PR and comms agency called Unity um, in 2005, but in January of 2018, you left that company and went on to create another agency called Blurred, which launched in October 2018. So what prompted that move from Unity? You know, it was such a difficult thing because Unity was really my first baby, Um, I have two kids now, but um, I launched it when I was in my twenties with a business partner in a, in a 50-50 or a partnership deal. And um, I couldn't have been prouder of the work that we achieved during that time together, but there was just a values clash ultimately. You know, at the time it's funny how time can be this strange thing, but you're like, I can't possibly, you know, walk away from this now because, you know, I've put two months into this and then suddenly you turn around and it's 12 years. And I just reached a point where we just weren't pulling in the same direction anymore. And although it was heartbreaking and I felt this enormous kind of loss of identity because I'd been Nick from Unity for so long, it just felt like the right thing to do. But I look back on it now and it was incredibly hard you know two kids my husband's a stay-at-home dad big mortgage and in order to walk away from unity I had to be willing to walk away with nothing and for various legal reasons you know the very act of walking away and therefore causing harm to that business it meant I had to be willing to walk away from nothing after 12 years of really hard graft I did do it and I've actually never looked back but the actual process of it was incredibly difficult. So you left in sort of the beginning of 2018 But then by the end of 2018, that same year, you'd launched Blurred. How difficult was it to set up this new venture in a relatively short space of time? When I'd had this amazing coach, she was one that actually got me to kind of go through with it. And she gave me this amazing bit of advice that sounds a bit weird when you first say it. But she said, you need to have an affair. And she said, most people, when... um, they have an affair it's not that that leads to the end of the marriage it's that the marriage is dead um but the affair is them reaching out to just see if they there's a chance they might find love elsewhere so her equivalent of that affair for me was to sit down with a blank sheet of paper and write what I would create if I could start again and it was an incredibly helpful exercise because I sat down and I wrote the word blurred and I wrote this concept for a really values-led basis and suddenly it's not about the fear of leaving it's about the excitement of what you may be able to move to and I had this brilliant master plan of leaving unity on the Friday and setting up blurred on the Monday and she said for the love of God this is (laughs) insane you must take three months off and she also said put the bit of paper back in a drawer and really try and keep an open mind you know there's so many different things you could do um just really take some time to work out if that is the thing 
so I did that and then um due to various legal wranglings I then legally had to take six months off and then that took me to the start of the school summer holiday so I was like well I might as well you know have another two months off and it's funny how time can suddenly kind of run away with itself so it actually was you know eight months and and after three months I did I woke up very with a very clear view that I wanted to um set up blurred but I had gone for other interviews you know CEO roles for network agencies spoke to headhunters about going in-house and it was the perfect thing to do because it meant that I was absolutely sure I was setting blurred up because it was the right thing to do as opposed to it just be something um you know that I knew how to do and because I was living in the country at the time I started to come into London a couple of days a week and just meet all those people I'd never had time to meet with people who um were saying interesting things in the media I just reached out to and just was like you know no agenda you don't know me do you want to have a coffee and it was the most extraordinary thing, actually, because inadvertently I ended up co-creating this concept of blurred with some of the most, you know, amazing brains um, in the UK. And so by the time I, I did end up launching it with um, three other business partners, it was really a far better, you know, more evolved concept than it ever would have been had I, you know, left one business on a Friday and um, started the other on a Monday. Mm. What were some of the challenges that you faced while setting up blurred was it easier than you perhaps thought it was because you had that experience setting up unity or were there other challenges that you faced actually there were very few um challenges I think it was part of it was just probably a bit of PTSD from what I'd been through of leaving my first company but the very very first thing I did was brought on board that coaches aren't non-exec director for um people and purpose and coaches everyone in the company and she chairs our board and she helped me and then the founders um really bring on board just a bunch of people where our values were 100 percent aligned because mm-hmm. that being the thing that had got in the way of the first company and then once we had done that you know actually the rest flows and I couldn't quite believe how easy it was to work with these people because when you're surrounded by people who are all putting in the same direction it's a completely different um, experience. So she was absolutely front and centre of that. But it was more in a way, you know, I had trust issues, to be honest. So she really had to help me believe that this wasn't going to be the same story playing out again. And also probably the biggest thing was, was, was a crisis of confidence, actually. The PR Week Awards happened two days before we were due to launch. And um, because I was quite known in the industry, everybody that night was like what are you doing next when's it happening and then I woke up the next day with a massive hangover and the fear you know suddenly like oh my god is this just a stupid idea why am I putting myself through this and one of my other founding partners Katie just said let's strip it back with this really big website she's like let's delete it all and just have the hero film of what we believe in which was actually the perfect thing to do and of course we launched and and people instantly reacted brilliantly to it and then and the business was off from day one but it was probably just that slight crisis of confidence but honestly um having business partners where your values are aligned are everything Mm -hmm. because even starting a new business was never as hard as running my old business because you know when everyone's energy is pulling in the same direction it just makes it so much easier Mm. how easy was it to find funding for blurred it was self-funded, actually, in the main, which, you know, again, I did feel the fear in those early days because my husband doesn't earn. How I funded it was I said I wouldn't take a salary for a year. And I remember sitting with a friend in January going, you know, no one in this house is um, 
has earned any money since before two Christmases ago. That is actually quite a terrifying concept. Um, but actually, I did end up um, earning well before a full year because the business took off. It was a real values test at the beginning because there was quite a lot of work coming to us that we were turning down because it wasn't the, the right kind of work for what we wanted to be doing. And that was hard when there was a sea of red because we started with some pretty big salaries from day one. Other people had to be paid and really holding our nerve and going, no, even though money was pouring out. Plus, I'd crazily decided at the time I, I fancied having a third baby. And then again, through a coaching session, I ended up making the decision that that would perhaps be the one thing too many. And then being furious at Blurred, you know, because I felt it denied me of something really important in my personal life. I'm 48 now, so if I was going to have a third child, it would have had to have been then. You know, I was running out of time. So there were lots of challenges like that. Then we did need to raise some extra money just for a, a comfort. But actually, some of our advisors um, ended up investing. And even my own um, personal financial advisor invested. And he was like, I'll put some money in. But I came up with quite a good scheme which kind of allowed SEIS investment for people but also with the ability um, for me to eventually buy those shares back again where we are now is full ownership by the founders again but it meant that we could have that um, extra kind of comfort zone for a while so all of that worked really well and the investors got you know SEIS tax relief etc but ultimately you know post three years we bought those shares back so that was also just quite a smart way of of doing it because so many people give away a lot of equity at the beginning and then they do better than they thought and then suddenly they don't have the equity anymore so this um enabled us to get over that and I guess that is the thing about doing a business for a second time or actually a third time because I, I also owned a third of another business at the time so I kind of knew what I was doing I knew the things that I didn't want to do and that meant we were able to kind of skip a, a lot of the steps that I guess many people setting up a business for the first time you know, the, the mistakes that they might make. Just talking about your your own sort of family dynamic, there was a, a quite a long period where no one was earning in your in your home and your husband's a stay-at-home parent. And that's quite an unusual setup from some of the people that we've spoken to, um, particularly when we speak to female CEOs as a, a successful businesswoman. How do you sort of manage that home-life balance? I mean, it just works for us because he never had any desire to really kind of lean into a career. Incidentally, I work with some incredibly smart people and, and my husband is one of the smartest people I know. It's just never been his desire to have a, a full-on career. He just spends a lot of time reading everything there <laughs> ever is to read about anything. And it's an amazing sounding board for me, actually. And also is... Because he's very um, into environmental issues and societal issues, for example. So he's also very much influenced um, a lot of my thinking. But it just does work because, um, you know, we share the load in different ways. The only reason I can do what I can do is because he does what he does. Our, our situation is slightly complicated because we have um, two very neurodiverse children. And we're actually a very neuro neurodiverse family. Um, and we've only discovered a lot of that actually in the last 12 months. But it makes even more sense now why we all do the things that, that we do and we lean into our respective strengths. If we go back to when you first made the decision to leave Unity, what was the reaction like from your colleagues and your employees? 
Well, that was probably the most heartbreaking thing because I was incredibly close to my team. And legally, all I was allowed to do was send an extremely dry message um, saying, you know, I have left today. And 10 minutes later, um, it appeared in the trade media, you know, and that was from someone who is all about personal relationships. That was incredibly difficult, but there simply was no um, other way of of dealing with the situation because of, unfortunately, the breakdown of the full breakdown of the relationship with my um, business partner at that at that stage, and the fact that we were unable to manage the exit in a way that we both felt was right. So I, I was left with no choice but to do it that way. Um, and that was heartbreaking. And, and again, I wasn't allowed to contact anyone personally in case it was perceived to be a, you know, a poaching move. So it was very difficult. But obviously, we're 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 five years down the track now. So and I and I have relationships with you know a lot of those um, people again now. And some of them obviously work with me now, as you'd imagine. But at the time, it was really hard. I mean, they were really. It was they were dark days. They were you know the fear of you know what am I doing you know leaving an established successful business throwing it all away and starting again and I remember I tell very very few people in advance but I remember someone going but you're walking away with nothing and I was like well well, I'm not I'm not walking away with 12 years of experience I'm walking away with an enormous goodwill um, amongst the people I've, I've worked with I'm I'm walking away with um you know, a spring in my step and a, and a belief that I can do this because I have done it. And then when that announcement came out, the, you know, the outpouring of support was nothing that I could ever have imagined. And then that gave me that huge extra confidence boost. I think I just found it hard at Lodge because eight months by then had passed. And 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 because I wasn't, you know, I'm, I am an industry figure the fact that people I knew were actively going to be looking. And it wasn't like when I first launched Unity when no one knew who I was or cared. You know, people I knew were going to be scrutinising what this next plan was. So, yeah, it's kind of strange to reminisce. And funny enough, my Fitbit's just gone off saying abnormal heart rate (laughs) (laughs) detected. So, obviously, like, taking myself back to some of those feelings is, um, yeah, it's quite interesting for me. Mm. What were some of those skills and that experience that you gathered when you were working with Unity, how did you bring them to this new venture with Blurred? I mean, really, it was the um, entrepreneurial skills because actually the work it was I was doing there and I was very, very hands-on in the work at Unity. I don't really do at Blurred at all. And in fact, the business has evolved enormously. What I realised I'm actually good at doing is having a, a vision for something, building it, um, marketing it, building on board um, or bringing on board talented people who, you know, believe in the vision and then who are as passionate about the subject matter as I am. That's what I'm actually really good at doing, I've realised. I live really happily in the future. <laughs> you know, I have a brilliant business partners who, who bring different things. Um, you know, one of them's an FD, the other's a chief strategy officer, the other is chief client officer. We've got an amazing managing director. So I can genuinely happily live in the future and just be anticipating kind of what's coming next and and tweaking the direction of the business. 
Whereas I used to be, like I said, hugely involved in the actual client work. But a lot of the client work we do now, I don't have the skills to to deliver. So it's quite funny because sometimes we work with, you know, huge global corporations. They'll be like, you know, we need, this is really important. We need the CEO on this. And the team are like, you really don't. <laughs> you, re- you really, really don't. You need this partner or this partner. So I think it was a, that, that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and then, like I said, when I launched Bird, I felt um, unshackled because suddenly I could just go for it. And I had these brilliant partners around me this time who um, who had different and complementary skills to me. And when we all we all just kind of got off the leash and, and did our thing, and, and the results were remarkable from day one. Mm. What are some of those things that you might have learned about yourself, or maybe surprised you about yourself throughout this experience? Well, I used to think I was maybe a bit weak for not dealing with some of the situations that I was in for 12 years and and now I realize it's the opposite like I was incredibly strong I've also realized that it's okay to fail because sometimes failing is the making of you you know it's like walking away from unity you could say was me giving up on it um but it wasn't it was a metamorphosis you know I I've I am such a better leader now than I than I ever was um I realise now as well, because I've always been a dyslexic, but I discovered I've got ADHD as well. And I have a sleep condition, which only got diagnosed in that um, period again between Unity and Blurred, only because I then had time to kind of deal with this stuff called slow wave parasomnia, which means um, I never really sleep. I, I kind of do, but the difference between being asleep and awake is so marginal. And the the blessing with it, it means I can work all night because my brain carries mm-hmm. on doing its thing but the curse is I'm, you know I'm always exhausted and there's various things I've put in place to um, try and mitigate that but I realize now looking back that I think my neurodiversity is what makes me quite entrepreneurial but I also think um, I never really could properly fit in in a neurotypical environment you know I couldn't be my true truest version of myself and I think that's the thing I'm most proud of with Blurred is we've created an environment that allows its team, everyone its team to be the truest, best versions of themselves, regardless of socioeconomic background or ability or disability, physical background, um, life stage. And we, rather than having a blurred person, the only thing we want everyone to do is be aligned with values, is we actively encourage that diversity. And then we bend to those individuals. And and that's probably the thing I'm most proud of, because, you know, it wasn't just about creating a business I could thrive in. It was about trying to create an environment that everyone can thrive in. And and the Blurred team is properly diverse in terms of um, you know, ethnicity, gender, sexuality, neurodiversity, um, physical and mental ability. We blur the lines between management consultancy, sustainability consultancy and communications consultancy and only work in the areas of kind of ESG and purpose. And we just fundamentally believe if everyone looks the same and everyone's got the same life story, you know, you just get the same answers all the time. But I think that thing of being a leader that genuinely wants people to be the truest versions of themselves. And I I think that's something I perhaps brought to the party because it was something I was never allowed to be when I was working in the mainstream world. And even when I co-founded my first business, I was still having to conform a bit. So I think that perhaps is one of the most different things about the culture we've created and um 
our last employee survey, we had a 99% approval rating, which I was just, you know, I'm blown away with. So we don't get everything right. Of course we don't. Um, but I'm pretty proud of that. So tell me a little bit more about Blurred. At our heart, we're a communications consultancy, but we're also very credibly um, a management consultancy and a sustainability consultancy. And the reason I say very credibly is we've won kind of consultancy of the year awards across the piece, all three. But it means when we um, advise clients on communications issues, we can go way deeper. Because the simplest thing to do, if you want to have a positive story to tell about your environmental performance or your own kind of people related social issues is to actually improve in those areas so people might come to us initially with a, a, a communications brief but we can get in there and actually fundamentally um change the nature of those businesses and we work with many of the world's biggest businesses including you know a couple in the top five but it makes me super proud because the work we do is this you know relatively small relatively new business materially impacts the world because if you can push, you know, a client, the size of clients we have, even a quarter of a percent further than most other businesses probably would in this space, that, that materially impacts the world because of their size and scale. Um, and we quite unusually kind of communicate right across the spectrum from the capital markets to policymakers, employees, consumers and beyond. It's based on this notion of you'll have a better story to tell because we would have made you, you know, a better business. So. We weirdly, you know, can pitch up against the, you know, the big management consultancies or commerce businesses or sustainability consultancies. We kind of very much try and mirror what we do for our clients internally. We need to deliver profit. We very much speak the language of capitalism, but we just believe focus on profit and people and planet. Those things do not have to be mutually exclusive. You can um, be a profitable business by really delivering for the world in terms of your environmental credentials and what you do for people if we go back to talking a little bit about your your neurodiversity your dyslexia your adhd how do those things impact you as a leader and how do they kind of either a help or a hindrance in terms of your leadership style your management style they can be both a help and a hindrance um I do believe that my neurodiversity is my superpower. However, I'm very cautious of saying that because I'm a middle-class white woman whose parents, you know, got me diagnosed with dyslexia at a young age and I was given all the support I needed to thrive. Whereas somebody with exactly the same kind of set of differences who perhaps, you know, was not given those opportunities it, it absolutely might not be a superpower. And there's a lot of um, people in, you know, British jails with ADHD and um, autism, various things. And I'm acutely aware of this because my, my children are very neurodiverse. Um, so the only reason it's a superpower to me is because I was given the opportunity to thrive. Um, I'm incredibly fast. You know, I, I, I don't, I, I literally... Just gonna sit in a room and go like, why is no one else here yet? What you know, why haven't, why haven't they reached that point yet? Um, but that's also can be a massive hindrance because I can leave. I I can sometimes not take people with me. So that is why, for example, our coach also chairs our board because I wasn't very good at chairing it. You know, so she makes sure that I take people on that um on that journey. I don't know if it's part of my neurodiversity, but I'm very empathetic, um, and I think that is another real strength. 
Um, but there's huge weaknesses as well. The best possible description I heard of my ADHD was somebody said to me, it's like having a Ferrari speed brain, but push bike brakes. And that is so true that I reach a point where I'm going so fast that I cannot stop. Like nothing can stop me. You know, even a weekend, I'm like, what's the next task? You know, hit me, hit me, hit me, hit me. You know, it's literally, I am, I am like, it's the weirdest thing to describe. And then that's really bad because eventually, of course, the wheels fall off. That's not great for anyone. And um, they laugh in the team about big Monday energy. And, you know, Mm -hmm. when I've still got big Monday energy on a Friday, it's quite tiring (laughs) for people. (laughs) So I do loads of things like meditation and mindfulness, which honestly, I I thought the very idea of it was disgusted me. (laughs) But I've realized I I do have to do these things. So, so I think it works well because, like I said, I've been able to build an, a team of people who compliment me, a brilliant managing director, brilliant founding partners, a brilliant team overall who, like I said, can be their truest, best versions of themselves and play to their strengths, and that makes all the difference. But honestly, I'm idiotic in many ways. I, you know, I don't really understand the concept of time. <laughs> I have to set alarms because otherwise I simply won't turn up to a meeting. I put in place loads of things Um quite organically actually and, and even when uh talking with a you know a psychiatrist who was doing a lot of the diagnosis <coughs> I was like I can't have ADHD I don't have a problem with time and she was like talk to me about how you manage your day and then she was like do you not understand those are all things that you've done to kind of um to, to manage this it's, it's, it's quite funny it's strange to learn all these things about yourself when you're 48 years old and the diverse team that you have at at Blurred, something that we talked a lot about at, at, at MT is pushing this idea that having a diverse team means that you have diversity of thought, diversity of ideas. How have those diverse thoughts and ideas translated into sort of business benefits for Blurred? You know, if someone's been suppressed for most of their professional life and then they're kind of unleashed, you're going to get so much more out of somebody. You know, that that's not the motivation but it's true if someone's had to work really hard to fight against the system or where they were, their voice wasn't heard. For, for, so I'm not just talking about neurodiversity, I'm talking about, you know, right across the piece. And then suddenly they're in an environment where they're truly allowed to be their true self and, and then they're helped to be their best self by being coached every two weeks. You know, that, of course, means you're going to um, get more out of those people. And, and that does, of course, impact the bottom line and everything about how we've structured the business even from things like personalized benefits it's you know we are never one size just doesn't fit all it simply doesn't you know we've got a 22 year old uh, woman and we've got a 57 year old I think you know man in in Blair they, they don't want the same things in life they don't need the same things in life they've got different things that are important to them so even our benefits are designed so that you know, Nat, I think, for example, as one of her kind of extra benefits, takes an extra week's holiday because that's what she wants. Whereas from Matt, it's all about his pension. And one of the key things we do is when everybody joins, they're asked for their five personal needs and they have to give five. What is it that will make a difference in, in terms of you thriving here or not? We are measured against those as part of people's there was a big thing a few years ago where it was all about not expecting people to look at emails after six o'clock. And we didn't sign up to that because it's like, well, who are we to say that people shouldn't do that? I've got people in my team 
who only really start to make sense after midday and they choose to work at, at night or people with kids who want to work a different way. What what we do say is on our email signatures is, you know, I can read one to you because we get the language quite right. We have on everyone's emails, which says, please note my work hours may not be your work hours. So unless it's urgent, please do not feel you need to reply outside of work hours. We allow people to set their own boundaries. Um, and yeah, and it, and it makes a massive difference. And, you know, that 99% approval rating is everything. We've not got the perfect environment, of course. But I do think we've got quite a few things right. The first few years of the company's existence were a rather, it was rather a traumatic time. Um, I think it's fair to say cancer was a, a huge kind of black cloud over the company. Um, what was it like to lead a team when a lot of people were struggling with grief within their sort of personal lives? What was it like to to lead a team through that? It was incredibly challenging and what is awful to say is we have two people with cancer now as well, which is just, it is unbelievable, really, considering our, our size. Um, back then, it was less our own team. It was more um, close family members dying, you know, younger sisters, best friends. We paid 10 and a half months of um, grief leave for people because it, it it was extraordinary there were times when I remember one board meeting when we just pretty much all cried <laughs> that's all we did but it also was you know an incredibly high performing year for us and I think it's because our values actually helped save us because we really you know we said to clients no loads more than we would have done before and we realized life was too short for doing shit work and perhaps before we would have been like oh we'll just do it we were like no 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 no. we're not going to do it that way because that is not the right way to do it we're going to do it this way and we cared slightly less about offending clients and we cared a lot more about delivering really impactful work because it's like suddenly everything mattered so much more and, and we ended up having, like I said, an incredibly successful year um, financially. And as a group, we got so tight. And I ended up having a, a cancer scare myself and had surgery at the end of that year. And it, luckily, you know, it, it, it wasn't cancer, but I had to go all, all the way through surgery to establish that. And it potentially could have been. But it's actually a really interesting story attached to that really which links to lockdown and I, I really struggled in lockdown probably no more than anyone else I had loads of things that worked in my favor like we we're living in the country and we had lots of space and stuff but mentally I struggled I'm very 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 visual and that's how my memory process is as well for example and suddenly when I was seeing everyone through the same vista constantly I got to this point where I, I literally wouldn't have been able to tell you whether I'd spoken to someone on zoom a week before or a year before which is quite a significant problem and I ended up having these awful awful earworms where just the same sentences repeating over and over in my head it's part of the sleep condition it can be part of that so all night all day the same sentences playing and I, and I rang my doctors and just thought they would just up my sleep medication a bit and um and instead I got you know a call back from a psychiatrist within 48 hours and a psychiatric nurse and was prescribed antipsychotic drugs and I was like blimey this is you know, bigger than I thought. And, and this is drugs that they normally give to people with um, 
schizophrenia and who are bipolar and I was like look that's not not what I want to do and they were like literally if you could just go to dinner with your friends this would break Mm -hmm. but it is the same it's because you're seeing the same things constantly and that's when they said look look, the alternative is mindfulness and I rolled my eyes and I was like (laughs) are you crazy you know I have the Ferrari speed brain asking me to sit there and be mindful it was the only viable alternative for me so I ended up doing this course and and the first session nearly killed me because it was like a Tuesday from 10 till 12, you know, prime working time. And the whole session was about how you use Zoom. And, you know, you're like, <laughs> we're in the pandemic. I've been using Zoom for a very long time now. And um, and I was literally the class idiot because I just didn't understand it. And I was like, what do you mean breathe through your feet? You know, <laughs> I couldn't understand it. But there was this one thing, a body scan, where you start with the tips of your toes and you work all the way up to your top of your head over a course of half an hour. And actually, I did relate to that. I was like, actually, there's something I can do. And and I kept stopping on my left boob, though, very weirdly. And I had no other symptoms. But Sarah Harding had just died. And um, so I just thought, look, I'm just going to go to the doctors. And, and, you know, I got referred, even though it it seemed like madness. And three weeks later, I'd had surgery. And I did return to my mindfulness class as a conquering hero, you know, (laughs) and suddenly it was like, I'm no longer the class idiot. But it was extraordinary, actually, because had I not been neurodiverse, then I wouldn't have been on that journey and had that kind of outcome, which was quite extraordinary, really. And now mindfulness is an absolute, you know, part of my kind of working week to try and slow down that brain and also to connect to my own body, because I just realized I had no connection with it. It was just something quite useful that carried my brain around. But, you know, I, I never stopped to actually ask if it if it was all right, if that makes sense. Mm. But yeah, that was the end of that year from hell but you know I'm proud that we can look ourselves in the the eye and know that we're supporting them um not just financially but um in terms of the extra support they might need in terms of talking therapies and coaching and all that kind of stuff um and the prognosis is good for both of them so so that is good what is that sort of that period of grief and all of those things that you experienced not just with your team but with yourself what did that teach you about yourself as a as a leader, having to continue working and being the sort of leader of that team and representing the company, what did that teach you about yourself as a leader? Well, that was very empathetic. That was very relatable. And I really intentionally made myself very relatable. And that's also how I dealt with um, lockdowns, etc. I expose my weaknesses constantly because I think people it's very easy to look at someone and go, you know, success, um, you know, is really easy when, of course, there's that amazing graph where it says what success looks like and it's a straight line going up and what it really is is ups and downs. So I'm very open and honest with the team. I would say, you know what, I'm taking the afternoon off and I'm going to watch Disney films with my kids <laughs> so that they would know that they can do that, you know, and that it was okay not to cope and many people didn't cope you know I had my husband at home many of my colleagues didn't and they had young children trying to homeschool or or it was even harder for the ones where the kids weren't even at school yet so I've always been one to wear my heart on my sleeve very openly I am a natural oversharer that is who I am so I've talked a lot about stuff myself because then it allows people the freedom to talk about their stuff themselves and then get the right support now I had six miscarriages it's, it's, I don't regret it, if that's the right um, 
word because it's made me a far better parent because when I eventually did get my two kids I got the balance right in my life you know and I it's important that um my team know that you know whatever life stage they're at we will support them if you look back on the leader that you were at unity and the leader that you are now how different are you what what's the biggest changes that you can see within yourself and within your leadership style your management style I used to try and do everything and now I know that there are lots of people far better at me um, at doing lots of different things so I have that trust that you know I know I'm really good at what I do and I lean into that so I think that trust is really really key and being able to let go just under you know, five years at Blurred, we've already massively overtaken where we were as a business in terms of client base, financially, everything, and where we were at Unity after 12 years, because you can only get growth when you give people their head to do their own thing. I think I've got more empathy. I think I'm a truer version of myself because I've kind of felt failure and realized it's a, it's a stepping stone. One of our values is daring but people know that that they're allowed to fail that you're never going to break ground and do something truly revolutionary and truly different unless you, you step out there giving people permission to fail really I'm a much more confident at doing that because I failed myself and I've grown from it so um I think that's another key fundamental part of my own evolution Thanks for listening to Management Today's Leadership Lessons podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. We're available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.